Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. Chapter 16. We on, Barry? We're good, right? All right. 1 Samuel chapter 16. drink of water. Hold on, I gotta remind myself of something. All right, first Samuel. Uh, chapter 16. Actually, we're going to start in chapter 15. All right, in verse 34. I'm going to do a little bit of reading here, and then we're going to get moving. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 34. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house to Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, and I, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If, Samuel, if Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. You know this story pretty well, obviously. Uh, Samuel has told Saul, your reign is over. You didn't listen. When I told you to destroy the Amalekites, you disobeyed. And disobedience is the sin of witchcraft. It's rebellion against God. So he lost his reign over Israel. Of course, he reigns for a few more years until David finally actually takes the throne. But Samuel is sent 
to Bethlehem to anoint the next king of Israel. And uh, you know the story there. God looks on the heart. And he chooses David. But um, when I read this passage, I see Samuel serving God and trying to fulfill what the Lord has told him to do. Okay? I see him trying to do what God's told him to do. He was sent to Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel. Like I just said, Saul's out of the picture now. And this young boy named David was to be anointed the king, the next king of Israel. We have a king, too. Just mark it down. You know that. We have a king also. His name is Jesus. He is our king. Now, the similarities between David and Jesus are few at best. But there are some similarities. Well, they were both born in Bethlehem. Amen? That's one. They were both born in Bethlehem. Then I think of Mephibosheth. You remember Mephibosheth with David. Uh, He was a lame from a child. And uh, he was the son of Jonathan who was the son of Saul, so he was the grandson of King Saul. And David graciously gifted this, uh, this man uh, to come and eat at his table continually. Actually gave him some land and took care of all of his servants. David was very gracious and showed loving kindness towards Saul's house. He did not have to do that. That was not normal for kings in those days. And you know what? Someday, sinner, we're going to sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to sit at a table... And when, when the, the bridegroom comes in, King Jesus, and we, all because of grace, we're going to be at that marriage supper all because of grace, just like was shown to Mephibosheth. Hey, we're the same way. He was lame on his feet. We were lame in our heart. We were away from God. We are sinners. Now, another thing was David was a beautiful child. Um, look at Isaiah chapter 53. David was a beautiful child. Look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 and in verse 2. The Bible says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And we will, when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Who's that? It's Jesus. It's the Lord Jesus. There was nothing special about his countenance. There was no beauty in him. There was nothing to draw you. Like David, he was a beautiful child, ruddy, goodly to look to. Jesus, no beauty. Not even that we should desire him. There was nothing special in the outward appearance. Certainly not beautiful. Not desirable. Jesus, on the other hand, was sinless. David... Not so much. We know what David did. So the similarities kind of fall away. David dies and was buried with honor. Jesus, on the other hand, in verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. When he was on the cross, he wasn't very pretty. It wasn't a very very pretty sight at all. But David gets buried with honors. What happens to Jesus? 
He dies on a cross and he's hurriedly thrown into a borrowed tomb. Barely wrapped up in a sheet and put in there. No pomp, no circumstance, no trumpets playing. But he's alive today. He's alive today. David is up in heaven, but Jesus Christ is alive today. Now what brought me here, though, was what Samuel said about anointing David. Let's see if I can get it across to you first. Um, well, I'm ahead of myself. Samuel is where he is supposed to be. Okay? And just as a side note, are you where God wants you to be today, tonight? I mean, in your daily life. Are you in your prayer time? Are you in your Bible? Are you in church? Are you in your place of service? Are you where God wants you to be every day? Are you walking with God? Samuel was where he was supposed to be. Samuel is trying to do what he was told to do. Are you doing what God has called you to do? Whatever that may be. But do you feel comfortable in your heart right now that I'm walking with God, I'm doing what God wants me to do? Because Samuel patiently examined seven brothers paraded out before him. And the Lord does not confirm by name any of these that are before him. Turn back to 1 Samuel in 1 Samuel 16. He doesn't confirm any of them. In fact, in verse 7, he says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance. But the Lord looketh on the heart. So, why didn't he confirm these big strapping young men? Because God looks on the heart. God's not so impressed with the outside as He is the heart. What's in your heart? And how much you desire God. You know, let me tell you this. You have more ability to change the inside than you do the outside. Now look, if you're healthy and you're trying to keep yourself healthy, lifting some weights, right Tony? You're lifting weights, you're jogging. And uh, whatever else you're doing to keep yourself fit, that's fine. But you have more of an ability to change inside than you do the outside. Because frankly, at some point, it's going to sag. It's just going to sag down like this. Right. Kathy reminded me I'm starting to get jowls. That means my face is sagging. Now I can pull it back and look 20 years longer. Look at that. Woo, look at that. That's what I used to look like. There ain't a thing I can do about that. I am not getting my face tied back and all that, so I'm not going to do that. But I can clean my heart up every day. My heart can become softer, more tender. I have more ability to change that than I do the outside. But where are we focused? Where's your focus tonight? This has nothing to do with my message. A little bit, but I just thought, Samuel asked if there are any more children. And what's the answer? Yeah, there's one more. The runt is out there. The little shepherd boy is out there in the field. Do you really want me to bring him in? I guess is what Jesse's thinking. Samuel's reply, though, is my thought. He tells Jesse, send for him because my responsibility here is not finished till I anoint the next king of Israel. And we should feel the same way. So my challenge to you is in verse 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for he will not sit down till he come hither. My 
role, my responsibility is not finished until that anointed king comes, till I anoint him, the king. And we have to make up our mind, hopefully tonight, or you've already made up your mind, that you're not going to sit down until our king comes, till he comes hither, till Jesus comes. You're not going to stop serving God until he comes. We're not going to sit down and take it easy until Jesus comes. We've got a lot to do before he comes, when he comes at the rapture. If there's one thing the Christian must not do, it's to stop serving the Lord. We have got to keep serving God. I know pastors away. And but you don't serve God because pastors away or even when pastors here. We serve God because Jesus Christ is our king and he's coming again. And we're not to sit down till he come hither. If 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 Samuel wasn't going to sit down waiting for the next king of Israel to be anointed, we can certainly make sure we don't sit down until our king comes, Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying is, we need to keep serving the Lord. There should be no quit in the Christian. We may have physical disabilities. We may have mental disabilities. We may have financial disabilities. I don't know. But I know one thing, you can keep serving God. You could still keep praying for the saints. You can still do something for God. You don't have to quit. If you quit, you're done. You know, there's a lot of things that can get you off course. Your health. Your flesh. Sin, obviously. Apathy, I just don't care. It just starts settling into your heart. Maybe you don't see fruit. Amen? Maybe uh, you knock on door after door after door, and uh, nothing's happening. Stay faithful. Go to the next door. My work's not done until he comes, or he takes me. I'm not sitting down until he comes hither. Maybe it's carnal living. Are you living for Jesus Christ, or are you living for yourself? It's laziness. Maybe you have an attitude that you're just giving up. Other Christians sometimes can get us off course. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Man will let you down every time. The moment you start putting your trust in a man instead of Jesus, he's going to let you down. And you're going to be hurt. And Jesus won't let you down. Stay faithful. Remember we talked about this morning. Perfect love casteth out fear. Work on your relationship with God. First and foremost, it affects every other part of your life. If this is right, then this will be right. You can't love your wife until you love God first. You can't love your husband until you love God first. Not the way he wants you to. You can't do anything with this relationship, this horizontal relationship, where we're dealing with people and our family until we get our relationship right with Jesus Christ. Until we're walking with him. Stay faithful. Do it for Jesus. God is not impressed with what impresses us. Uh, tall, like Saul, that's why they wanted him. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. Wow, we got to make Saul the king. Look how big he is. And he was good for a while when he was, when he was little in his own eyes. But when he got filled with pride, it didn't matter how big he was. He came down. But that little David grew up to be the king of Israel. And because his heart was right with God... God is not impressed with what impresses us. God's impressed with the inside. God's impressed with faithfulness. Not numbers. There's churches with a thousand in them tonight. 
thousand people sitting there. Who knows how many are even saved? The only reason they're there is for the carnal music, the wicked music. There's no soft preaching. Don't tell me. Don't preach on sin. Don't preach on my pet sin. That's why they're all in there. Because it's easy. Whoever said it was easy to be a Christian? If I told people when I led them to the Lord, if I told them what they were going to be in for two years down the road, they'd have never got saved. Forget that. I like my friends. Well, you're going to lose your friends if you live for Jesus Christ. Stay faithful to do it for Jesus. Faithfulness impresses God. You want to impress God? Stay the course. Don't sit down till He comes. Keep serving whatever you're doing. Each of the things, each of those things can be made right. All those things I listed, carnality, flesh, sin, apathy, they can all be made right and should be made right because we have to turn up our efforts. We've got to turn up our efforts. Don't sit down. We used to say it ain't over till it's over. Maybe Yogi Berra said that. He said a lot of dumb things. It ain't over till it's over. What else did he say? I don't know. All kinds of stupid things. And there's another one that says, uh, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. Amen. And it ain't over. He isn't here yet. So we just got to keep serving God. Amen. Well, turn over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and in verse 57. Luke nine fifty-seven, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Sounds like Peter, remember? We had him this morning. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. You think preaching the kingdom of God isn't a high calling? And another said, another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, at home, at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now once you put your hands to the plow, the only way you're going to plow a straight field is to keep your eyes on a mark ahead of you and aim for that mark all the time. And Paul said, I just keep my eyes on Jesus Christ. I have not yet apprehended. I'm focused on one thing, finishing my course. You know, Jesus let this man know right away it wasn't going to be easy. Foxes have holes and birds there have nests. I don't even have somewhere to lay my head tonight. You ready for that? Are you ready to lose a little comfort? A little time of your own. And this one wants to go bury his father. That's a pretty noble thing to do, don't you think? But Jesus said there's something higher than that. Let the dead bury their dead. You go preach the kingdom of God. Nothing takes the place of what God calls us to do. And by the way, God's when God calls you to do something, he never conflicts with what we're supposed to be doing. You know, if you know what I mean. God's callings never conflict we're never we should never be too busy to take care of the things that we should be taking care of whether it be in our home or on the job or other things god's god's callings never conflict with that 
He doesn't want you to do something for him that would cause a problem somewhere else. That's not the way God works. But your priority should be, I want to do what God has called me to do. No matter what the cost. See, we have to count the cost when we start to follow God. Another one said, uh, uh, just let me go home and say goodbye. Now, because once you say goodbye, mom's going to pull a roast out and some potatoes and carrots and you ain't coming back. You're done. You're, you're going to look back and you ain't coming back because it's too easy to quit. So just keep your hands on the plow and don't sit down till our king comes. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to have to put your whole heart into it. 100%. 100%. He'll hear me later. All right. This is what we as Christians do. We serve. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Give God 100%. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is what Christians do. We serve. We're servants. What did Jesus say? I didn't, come to, I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to minister. I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. This is what I do. He washed their feet. He served them. He said, this is what we are. We're servants. Happy are you if you do what I've told you and what I've shown you. This is what we do as Christians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 um, is like a model for us to follow. Look in verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. So the church of Thessalonica, Thessalonica showed themselves laboring and they were serving and working and it was a labor of love. We serve Him because we love Him. I don't know how else to say thank you. I mean, I could just keep shouting it out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And we mean it. But to really show, show God how much you love Him. That is really what love is. It's an action word. I love you. And God showed us how much He loved us. It should be a pleasure to express our gratefulness for what God has done for us. Our gratefulness to Him for what He's done. It should be a labor of love. If it's not, then there's a problem somewhere. In you, or what you're doing, or how you're doing it, your walk with God. Look in verse 6. And you became followers became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. You see someone serving God? Follow them. That's okay to do. Follow your pastor. Follow him. Follow their example. Follow your spouse if they're walking with God. Follow your pastor. Follow your friends. But make sure you're always following Jesus. Make sure your eyes are ultimately on Him. To hold your finger here, just go back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Hold your finger here. Just turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in verse 1. What did Paul say to the church at Corinth? Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So he said, you can follow me, as long as I'm following Jesus. See, once a man falls away, you don't fall away. You keep your eyes on the Lord. You know, because people let us down. That's just the way it is, isn't it, Mona? People will let you down. So although I'm following somebody, 
I need, if they fall away, I don't fall away with them. Because ultimately my, my gaze is on Jesus. That's who, I'm, that's who I'm really following. But we should have examples, good examples to follow. Look back at 1 Thessalonians in verse 7. So that ye were ensamples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia and Achaia. So we should be the examples. We should be an example that other people can look at. An example to other believers, to each other, so that they see a pattern in us. They can have a pattern for their lives. Every time I see that person, they're serving God. They have joy in their heart. Hey, why don't you, they're being an example. That's a good thing to try to emulate someone who is serving God. Just look at chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4 and in verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. And we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Paul says, I don't have to tell you about loving each other. You're doing it. In fact, it's affecting all the other churches around in Macedonia. Not just the church in Thessalonica. And, and, and keep doing it, he says. Keep increasing more and more and more. Be that pattern. Be that example for others. Look at verse 8 in chapter 1. Verse 8, from, from, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, and not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. There's a progression here. It shows us that being a witness is foundational. It's the basis to serving the Lord. If you can't share your faith, you're not going to serve God properly. For, you, for from you, out of the church, out of the believers there in Thessalonica, sounded out the word of God. They made sure everybody around them knew who they were. They were believers in Jesus Christ. And that sets the stage for our service. That will propel you to another level of service. You've got to share your faith. You've got to give out a track. You've got to tell your neighbors about Jesus Christ. We've got to do that. We'll never advance in our Christian life until we begin to share our faith. It starts there. Well, verse 9. For they themselves show what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's where we wind up. Once you turn from your idols, you got saved. You don't live that way anymore. You don't do the things you used to do. You don't, you don't have anything to do with the world as much as possible. You don't live for the world. You're there to serve God. You've turned from your idols. You've turned from the things that you used to play around with that were against God. And now you're serving Him. Are you serving God or not? Answer that question to yourself. I was going to preach a message one time to some teens, and I never even developed it, but it was, it was called, Are You a Pretender or Are You a Contender? Are you the real thing or are you just a hypocrite? You know, are you really, a, 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 you stand up and share your faith with other people in your school or with your friends that are, that are not saved, or are you, just a, are you just a pretender? God, people can tell very quickly, and God knows, that's for sure. Whether we're contending for the faith, whether we're really living for Jesus Christ, or whether we're just pretending. It's just an act we're putting on. In verse 10 it says, And to wait for his son, wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, 
even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Look what God has done for us. We're not going through the tribulation. God's taken us out of here. We're waiting for King Jesus to come, not wrath. We're not going through the tribulation, not one single second of it. We're getting pulled out of here before the wrath. I'd never let my wife go through the wrath. And God's not going to let his bride go through the wrath either. We're getting plucked out of here. So I'm not waiting for the tribulation. I'm waiting for Jesus Christ. So I'm going to keep serving till he comes hither. Till he comes. No government, no people, no organizations, no other religions can stop us. Because they put us in jail. Well, you just witness in jail like Paul did and Peter and who else? You just keep witnessing. They can't stop us. God has given us so much to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for. And we need to say thank you by serving Him. We've got a lot of time on our hands. How much time do you spend serving God? Some people are busy, busy, busy. And others are lazy, lazy, lazy. You've got time, but you're not serving God. You know, some people just can't do what they used to do. I tell you what you can do. You can pray. You can be a prayer warrior. You can pray for those that are able to physically serve. That is, that is a ministry all in itself. To lift up by name people during the week. This is what I can do. I can spend an hour in prayer. Because I can't really get around very well but I can pray. If you get a hold of the ear of God and you can pray for me, would you pray for me? Like I could pray for you? I may not have as much time as you do to just sit and pray, but I'll tell you what, if you pray for me, I'd be certainly, I'd be thankful for that. To pray for me, you can do that. There's not a person in here that can't do that. Turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Occupy. Occupy. I believe this is specifically to the Jewish nation. He's talking, Jesus is talking to the Jews and he's telling them that he uses this parable here and it starts in verse 13 or 12. He said, therefore, 1912, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And our, and our king is coming again. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him. Didn't the Jews reject him? Eh? And sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. What did they do to him? They crucified him. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Otherwise, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound. I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up where thou layest not down, and reapest where thou hast not sown. It's not so. 
And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up where I laid not down, and reaping what I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou money? Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take him from the take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that every unto every one that which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that which he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. You know, these guys that received, they all received a pound. But only two of them took the pound and did something with it and used it and served their king. And they gained some back. Some gained ten. They got the same reward, though, in the sense that they were faithful. And the second one gained five, five pounds. But he was commended by his Lord for being faithful. But this other, this other uh, servant, he never, he never received it. He never took that pound and used it. It never became his. Now, the application to me is that he never received eternal life. He never believed on Christ. He never received that gift. What did he do? He stuck it in a napkin. And then he said, For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. That means you're hard. You take up where you layest not down, and reapest that thou did not sow. I think he had a bad view of Jesus Christ. He had a negative view. He had a wrong view of his king, like all the other Jews did, many of them. That he was hard and unfeeling and covetous and not rewarding and he's just the opposite. So that's why Jesus said, you know what? Then I'm going to judge you according to your words, you wicked servant. Out of thine own mouth will I judge. If I was hard and, and covetous and unfeeling and not rewarding, if that's the way you see me, why didn't you take my pound and at least give it back to me with interest? So take his pound and give it to the one that has ten pounds. So that's why it says what I see anyway. For I see, say unto you that unto everyone that hath shall be given from him that hath not, even that he shall be, t- even that he hath shall be taken away from him. What is that opportunity? Your opportunities are done. It's gone. There's no chance now. But those mine enemies, he was now his enemy, which would not that I should reign over them, bring them hither and slay them before me. Your opportunities are done. You know, Jesus has not come back yet. So we must want, he must want us to keep serving. You see? Just like he had told the Jewish nation here. I'm coming back. You rejected me. But the word occupy means to do business. It means to stay busy. Doing the work of the Lord. We're reminded, even in this parable, that we are servants. Servants of a king who hasn't come yet. We will reign with him. And his reward is with him when he comes back. There'll be a time when we'll all get our pat on the back. We'll all get our well done. Or maybe not. That's up to you. Entirely up to you. But if you serve him, you'll be rewarded. Just like these servants were. Everything we have to offer to King Jesus has been given to us. Verse 23. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank? 
that at my coming I might have required mine own. You know, there's nothing you have that isn't God's. Nothing. Not even the air we breathe in this room. It's God's air. Everything about us belongs to God. That one pound servant, that one pound servant, the one, that wicked servant, I really believe specifically this is speaking to the Jewish nation and its rejection of their Messiah. Because they wanted to, they said, we'll not have him to reign over us. That's speaking about Jesus. For us, though, those who never received the gift of eternal life, they've lost any future opportunities. And they die without Christ. And they'll be cast into hell. And rightly so, because they rejected the gift of eternal life. What are we to do? Serve. Use what God's given you. Make something of it. And every one of us in here has talents, abilities, that God has put us together like a hand in glove. As Pastor always says, there's a family that he's knitting together here to do something for God here. I can't do what you do. You can't do what they do. And they can't do what she does. And it's just but all together. What can God do? Finally, look in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And in verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. Thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said, unto the Lord increase our faith. This is a hard one. And what does he say? And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. And then he goes on and says, but which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat and will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup. And gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that, which was our duty to do. It takes faith to serve God. It takes faith to keep on going when you think you ought to sit down, when you think you've done enough, when you've been feeding cattle in the field. And he says, uh-uh, ain't time to sit down. Gird yourself and continue to serve me because that's what you are, a servant. And I have not come back yet, so keep on serving. You have to serve with faith. It takes faith to forgive people, that's for sure, who have wronged us. It's hard to forgive them, isn't it? You have to trust God when you do that. And a dose of humility and patience wouldn't hurt either. That would help us be more forgiving to people. Faith will allow us to do some great things for the Lord. But remember this, mustard, mustard seed faith can uproot trees and throw them in the sea. How much real faith do we show each day as we serve Him? I mean, how big is a mustard seed? Put your fingers up. Come on. Put your fingers up and close them and put them on my head. Now, can you see... Close them together. Can you see my head? No, right? Now open them up just enough to see my head. That's how big a mustard seed is. That's how big my head is. Isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's just the smallest seed. If we had that much faith, what could we do for God? 
Can you imagine how small our faith is? And still what gets accomplished? God's able to do a lot with less than mustard seed faith, apparently. We need great faith. We need to trust God more. Just how small is our faith? How easy we lose focus on what we're supposed to be doing. I'm telling you, this life is but a vapor. You know that. It appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. The older I get, the more apparent it is. But I got I to gotta get moving. I got to keep moving. I just want to keep serving God. Philippians chapter 3, 13 and 14. You know those verses. You want to turn over there? Come on. I see you going there. Let's go there. Philippians chapter 3. All right. Where's Philippians? I forget. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet, Paul said. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You just got to focus on the prize ahead, the calling of Christ, God in Christ Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him. Keep reaching forth. Because you have to forget about past victories. You can't dwell on. I used to teach Sunday school. I used to be in the crash. I used to knock on doors. I used to do this. I used to do that. I used to, used to, used to, used to. What about now? Even if you did it and you had a lot of fruit, then why aren't you doing it now? We need to keep pressing forward. And don't dwell on past failures either. What good is that? That's Satan's tool again. To stop you in your tracks. You can't do that. Remember what happened the last time you tried to do that? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve God. I'm going to keep pressing to the goal of honoring and glorifying Jesus Christ in my life. I'm going to keep pressing on. You know, back in, if you go back in Luke chapter 17, we'll finish there. Luke chapter 17. In verses 7 through 10, I won't have to read it again. About the servant, comes in from the field. You don't sit down. He said, make ready wherewith, in verse 8, and suck. I may sup and gird thyself and serve me. Jesus is saying, keep serving till I've eaten and drunken and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. We may think, God, I did this or I did that and we expect some grand reward. But verse, verses 7 through 9 say, not yet. It's not time yet. It's, it's not time to sit down and get rewards for service. It's not time to sit down. We're not in heaven yet. We're still here. There's more to do till he comes. In fact, verse 10 says, So likewise ye, when you shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We've done that which was our duty to do. Well, how much faith did it take to do that? How much love for Jesus did it take to do that? Just what you were commanded to do. That's not the second mile of Christianity. That's spoken about in Matthew chapter 5. If they sue you for your coat, give them your cloak too. If they, if they want you to carry their bags for one mile, you carry it for two. See, the difference is whether you're doing something because you have to 
or doing something because you want to. That's the difference. Because when you want to, you're doing it out of love and trusting in God. And you're going the extra mile, not for you, for Him. You're doing it for Him. Most of us only do what is expected. It's our duty. They don't pin the Medal of Honor on somebody who went into combat and just did, just did the normal. <laughs> you know. <laughs> they don't get the Medal of Honor or bravery. It's the ones that go over the, over the wall and, and pull somebody out and save people's lives. They're going beyond the call of duty. You'll need to exercise greater faith and trust in Christ to do the unexpected. Like forgiving people all the trespasses against you. Seven times in a day. They don't always repent either, do they, Tony? <laughs> so you can forgive them. But you have to have a forgiving spirit. That's going to take greater faith. To keep your heart right, no matter what anybody says to you, or about you, or against you, just keep forgiving them. Give them a soft pillow to hit up against. Soft answer, turn it away, wrath. Like doing all, doing all and more than, than what is expected. What would you expect from a servant that you employed? Tell me who would get the prize as you watch two people work and, and one started to lean on his shovel and the other one just kept shoveling. <laughs> the hole's dug. No, he says, no, no we're going to dig. start the next hole. <laughs> he's going to get a prize. Do a little work and then sit back and relax. Is that what we're supposed to do? Kick our feet up? Just do enough to get by? We should do more than what is commanded if we're to go beyond the call. Faith doesn't sit down till he comes. That's when we get the chance to relax for a while anyway and, and have a supper with him. So what are we saying? Samuel said, I will not sit down till he come hither. Who? David, the next anointed king of Israel. Samuel says, I'm not sitting down till I perform my God-given service. And he didn't. I say, let's not sit down until our king comes. Let's just keep serving God. Because Jesus is coming again. And maybe soon. Amen? Amen. Alright. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just something to encourage us. Something to exhort us to helps me to just know that I just need to keep going. There's no time to sit down. This is bigger than Bible Baptist Church in Palancholy. This is bigger than Ireland. This is the whole world needs Christ. We're supposed to keep serving them. So Lord, please help us to take this message to heart. If Samuel wasn't going to sit down until David came, the next king of Israel, we certainly shouldn't sit down until our king comes. You. So Lord, I just pray you bless this message to our hearts. Help us to take it in, receive it, and, uh, and then do something about it, Lord. And Lord, increase our faith. Help us, Lord, um, to serve you because we want to, not because we have to. Lord, we love you, Lord. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.